This is our third Sunday of Advent. Advent is a church tradition, but it's full of meaning. You know, the thing with a lot of our traditions is you don't have to bury them. A lot of them just need fresh life breathed into them because they are they're so full of meaning. They don't have to be empty ritual, but the meaning, the purpose behind can remind us of just some very important principles that sometimes we forget as we uh, just go about our lives. And uh, in this Advent season, the... Uh, Purple candles actually speak of prayer and of penance and of preparation to receive the Lord. And then the peak candle that also in some traditions is called the angel candle is in the midst of all that, the angel appears and brings a word of hope that your prayers have been heard, that the penance, the preparation in your heart that you've made room for, that the one you've been longing for, he's coming. Uh, This morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that we're probably all familiar with in Luke chapter 1. It's just the story of the angel's encounter with Mary. Mary was going to be the vessel through which the promise of God to this world, a Savior, was going to come. And Joseph plays a very important role as well. We're going to look at him next week. He kind of gets forgotten sometimes, but I like to refer to Joseph as Father Christmas. Uh, He's uh, kind of the original, so uh, we're going to look at him next week. But in Luke chapter 1, we read verse 26 to 31, just this segment that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin Mary, engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Congratulations, favored lady, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to wonderfully bless you. Very soon now you'll become pregnant and have a baby boy. And you are to name him Jesus. And I love Mary's response. And may it be our response this morning. Verse 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. And of course, we know it did. It didn't happen overnight. Just like in your life and mine, the promises of God don't happen in an instant. But when the promise of God comes to us, that promise brings hope. And that that promise just brings a sense of, of expectation. At least that's what the Lord desires for us. But what's so important about this miracle is it's wrapped up in one single word. Can you guess what it is? Virgin. If there's no virgin, there's no miracle. You see, the Jewish people long knew for centuries that the Messiah would come, but he would come in a supernatural way. He would come being born of a virgin. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 7, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, it's not just going to be a random child born. You kind of got to guess who it is. But there are going to be certain circumstances surrounding this child that you will know if you know the Scriptures, this is the Messiah that God has sent to you. He said, this is the sign. A child shall be born, that seems no big deal, but to a virgin. That's kind of a big deal. And they shall call him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And so Isaiah prophesied some 800 years before that God was going to intervene in this mess that the human race had made for himself. And the way he was going to do that was through a supernatural phenomenon that was going to be manifested in what you might call a physical phenomenon. What would happen is a child will be born to a virgin. Now that sign serves as a sign of God's intervention into the predicament that we had made made for ourselves. 
But as God comes into the world, he was going to do two things. He was going to demonstrate his power over the works of darkness and even over the sin that man had created. He's going to show his power, but in doing so, he's going to solve a very basic problem. You see, the problem is man could not save himself. No matter how well-intentioned he may be, no matter how well he lived, all mankind was born into sin. And so they were destined to the same godless eternity as everybody else. So how was God going to rescue mankind out of their sin? The only way he could do that is if the Savior was fathered outside of the human race and yet born physically into the human race so he could be 100% man to represent us on the cross to take our place to die for our sin so we would not have to. But he had to be sinless. Sin is passed down through the man. And all the women said, of course it is, right? But sin was passed down through the man, through the seed of man. So to avoid that, God had to create a child in Mary's womb who would be 100% human as a human mother, but would also be sinless because he was born of the Holy Spirit. She became impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So that is what God did, and he showed his power in being able to pull that up. But the beautiful thing is, is that in becoming a man and dying for our sin, washing our sin away, what was God doing? He was making way for an entire new race of people to be born into this world or born again. You see, as Christian people, we're not just churchgoers. We're not just religious people or people who go through rituals. We are people who, by faith and trust in Jesus alone, has had something supernatural happen in us. So not only are we not the same person anymore, we as the church, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are a new race of people. If you could see through your spiritual eyes, you would not just see the person you're sitting beside. I remember C.S. Lewis wrote many, many years ago. He said, if we could basically see the beauty of that new creation in your brother and sister in Christ, you would be tempted to bow down and worship them. Now, he wasn't saying that we should worship each other, but the brilliance, the light, the beauty of what you would see because of the transforming work of Jesus Christ would tempt you to do so. And that's what the Lord wants us to understand. He did not come to birth a new religion. He came to birth a new race. That's why Peter said, you're not ordinary people anymore. You're peculiar people. You stand out. You're different from anybody else. And as I always say as a qualifier, we're not better than anybody, but we're what? We are better off, right? I'm better off than the person who doesn't know Christ. I'm not better than them. I need the same grace they need. But if they will come to Jesus, they can experience the same life, the new life that he's given to me. I'm not better than anybody. So the Lord has come to bring and create a whole new race, and that's who we are as his people. Now, I don't know if you remember, but back in 2008, one of my favorite actors, and maybe because he's Canadian, but I think he's kind of a cool guy, uh, Keanu Reeves, probably one of the nicest guys in Hollywood, if you know him at all. Uh, I was just talking to him last week. I hate to drop names, but uh, just kidding. But he, he starred in this movie uh, called uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Anybody remember that? And he was an alien visitor. His name was Klaatude. We have a picture. Oh, there you go. That's, that's Ken. That's my buddy. And so he, he stars as this alien uh, visitor to the earth. And, and he says, into the, a short time into the movie, he says, I've come as a friend to earth. And people are thinking, oh, wonderful. You're going to save us all. But as the movie unfolds, you realize by earth, he wasn't talking about people. He was talking about the earth, the planet. And basically what he had done is he's come to kind of evaluate how mankind is treating the planet. And he decides that though the earth is salvageable, 
the human race isn't. And so begins this process of kind of destroying the human population. I won't tell you how it ends, but we're still here. So uh, there, was a, there was a good ending to it. But when you watch that as a believer, you realize, man, what a contrast to the heart of God, the actual creator of this planet and of mankind, that he didn't look at us and say, it's so unsalvageable, I'm going to wipe out the entire population, I'm going to wipe out the whole planet and just forget I ever started this sorry nonsense. He doesn't do that. Galatians tells us in chapter 4 that when the time was just right, God sent his son into this world. Why? To save us, to save mankind, to purchase us back from sin, and to restore his purposes in our lives. In fact, we all know John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, so whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. John goes on to say in the next verse, For God did not send his Son here to destroy the world, but what? So that the world might be saved through him. What a contrast. I don't know where you stand in the environment. I don't think we should pollute. I'm all game for that. But there's a religion today in our world in the name of the environment that actually makes mankind the enemy and says the only way our planet's going to survive is if we get rid of people because people are more important than the planet. God says, nah, sorry. You're not touching the people. <laughs> I've saved these people. These people are worth more than billions of planets. And I've come to save them. And that's the work he's done within us. And by the way, don't pollute, just so you know. But for, for, in order for this to happen, this whole plan, a certain kind of person had to be available. And Mary was that person. Not only was she a woman who was sexually pure, but there were also aspects about her, I'm sure, I'm just reading into it, but you know, her spiritual devotion, her integrity, her, her love for God, her, her responsive heart, whatever it may be, because God did not choose her only to bear her son, he also chose Mary to raise his son. So there's certain qualifications or attitudes of heart that she had to have. But you know what? When we read Mary's story, or we think about Mary, and man-made tradition has done this, we tend to kind of elevate Mary beyond a place of simply recognizing and appreciating. You know, we, we, we can kind of uh, elevate her to this place where somehow she's so far removed from us that the kind of thing God did in and through her, he could never do through someone like me. When I think of the requirements that she fulfilled, I'm so quick to think of, man, how disqualified I am, or how unlike Mary I may be in so many, so many different ways. And we really miss the beautiful truth that God wants to do in every single one of us, the kind of thing that he did in Mary. Because Mary was not a superwoman. But she was a submitted woman, a submitted daughter of God, a submitted heart. She said, I'm the Lord's servant, and I'm willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. You see, when God speaks a word of promise to you and me, when there's something God wants to place within us, he sees what's around us. He knows what he wants to change. He knows how he can change it. But the question is whether or not we're going to open our heart and say, Lord, begin the change in me. Lord, do it in me. Plant something in me that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit and by your word, it's going to grow in me. And when the season comes, I'm going to give birth to that thing, and it's going to change things around me. 
You see, it's very difficult for many of us to believe the word of the Lord to us and what he wants to do in and through us because it's so tempted, we're so tempted to argue that our sins and our failures, they disqualify us from any kind of miracle. Can anybody relate or is it just me? Anybody relate to that? I mean, whether it's the season we've been going through, whether it's the new year coming ahead, the Lord is at work. The Lord has wonderful things he still wants to do. Heaven is at work all around us, and we're reminded of that during the Christmas season. But we always think, well, God's going to do it through someone else. And I hope he does, and I'm happy for them, but those kind of things don't happen in people like me. Those kind of miracles don't happen to me. And the Lord says, that's a lie. Because what I've done in your heart, in your life, through Jesus Christ, qualifies you as much as Mary herself for a miracle. A miracle that will touch you and grow you and change you and change your world around you. You are a candidate if you are a daughter or a son of God by Jesus Christ. We need to have that same hope. Because you see, if we give into that hopelessness, what happens is it robs us of the confidence that, number one, I can be intimate with God. You see, one of the reasons why so many believers never even get into doing anything for the Lord, and I don't mean doing in the sense of, well, I've got to serve him, but actually being able to participate in and enjoy the living kingdom around us is because they get blocked at the intimacy part. The devil has people convinced that you have no right for God to expect God to be intimate with you. You have no right to expect that you're going to have precious times in his presence and you're going to feel his love and his cleansing and, and you're going to know him and hear his voice because people think, well, yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know things I've done. You don't know my past or my regrets. You don't know what I've been through. That is a lie from the enemy. And if he can stop you there, if he can rob you of intimacy, you'll never know the joy of hearing the Lord's voice. You'll never know the joy of waking up in the morning and actually looking forward to your time alone with the Lord. Getting into your prayer room, getting into that you know, quiet place and pulling yourself away. If you're robbed from the realization that you can actually be intimate with your God. You can know him and love him and know his love and know his presence. And friends, we all struggle with that, that lie. Even the most spiritually mature among us can wrestle with that from time to time. So the question becomes, if, if God doing in me the kind of thing he did in Mary requires virginity, requires this purity, then how in the world can I hope for anything to happen in me other than maybe just when I die I'm going to go to heaven? And maybe I should just be happy with that. I want you to hear me this morning, friends. We are all sinners. We all struggle with that same voice that comes to us when the Lord comes with hope and the Lord comes with a promise. There also comes another voice that says, hey, you're no Virgin Mary. This isn't going to happen in you. You see, I'm sure Mary could have done the same thing. There could have been regrets. There could have been things, just even natural things that make her feel disqualified. But she understood the word of the Lord was to her at that moment, and it was up to her whether or not she would lay hold of it. Even though she didn't understand it, the Lord would not speak something to her just to torment her. He spoke truth because I'm speaking to you. This is what I want to do. And her heart said, I believe what you say. I don't know how you're going to do it, but let it happen in me. And I want to encourage you, my friends, as you move through this Christmas season, there's two weeks left till Christmas. Don't just move toward Christmas itself as a separate event. Walk through this Advent season, this season of preparation, as you move into a new year and say, Lord, what would you speak to me? What would you birth in me? What would you grow in me? What new thing would you have for this new year? 
And wherever there may be doubt and unbelief, begin to address those things and say, Lord, in this time of preparation, of penance, of prayer, Lord, let this be a time that you show me by your Holy Spirit where I believe the lie. Help me to renounce those things, to break those things. Help me, Lord, to embrace what you want to do. You see, when we trust the Lord to forgive us of our sin, we can't add to anything the Lord has done for us. We can't add to the completeness of the forgiveness that he gives us. So what's the problem? It's not that Jesus hasn't forgiven us, but sometimes the memory of past sins and failures becomes a breeding place that the devil will use against us. I was saying to the folks in the first service that I got a chance to get away with the boys, my two sons, uh, Friday night went down to Halifax to watch a national lacrosse game and had a night in the hotel and a bit of time together, really enjoyed that. And uh, we got talking there Friday night about a number of things. Uh, and we got talking about just some regrets, how sometimes you, just, you look back. You know, our youngest son, Alex, they're expecting a child in April, and, and uh, we're just talking a little bit about parenting or, you know, fathering and stuff, and, and you make mistakes, and the thing we wish you could do differently, whatever. And, and I share with them just something that I did once. Remember, I was disciplining uh, Ben. He might have been four years, three, four years old. And even to this very day, when I think of it sometimes, how I just kind of quickly lost my temper, I, I could almost cry now. You know, I just feel so bad, like what a terrible father I am. And, and he shared a story about uh, how he had said something once. And uh, after he said it, it was regarding me, and he felt so terrible. He says, even to this day, it'll come to my mind, and I'll think, oh, what a rotten son I am. And so we just agreed, we're, we're just rotten people. It was, a great, it was a great weekend, actually, just a lot of revelation. It was this beautiful thing. But what was amazing was that as I shared this story that i just been carrying for so many years, and he shared a story. Well, Alex, we know Alex is perfect, so he, he was easy to... But uh, the interesting thing was that Ben said, Dad, I don't even remember that. I've never remembered that. And then I said to him, the story you told, I've never even thought of that. It's never crossed my mind. So just think, 20, 25 years, whatever it's been, these memories that the enemy is able to use to bring back to your mind and make you feel like, oh, I'm such a lousy father. Oh, I'm such a lousy son. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. And friends, it's the same principle. When we go to our Heavenly Father, the work that God the Father has done in our life through Jesus Christ is so thorough. It's so far-reaching. Honestly, this is not hyperbole. The Lord says himself, when you have come to faith in Christ, you are a brand new person. And when you bring up anything to me from the past, I honestly can say to you, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. When did that happen? That is how thorough the forgiveness of the Lord is, the cleansing of the Lord. And the Lord wants us to know that. And that happens when we trust in him. But again, we allow the memories, we allow the enemy to use those memories. You see, not only does Jesus want us to know his forgiveness so we can be clean, but he wants us to know his freedom. So as we move in freedom of who we are as sons and daughters of God, we are actually able to confront and to overthrow the lying works of darkness. That when the devil talks to you, you can say, yeah, that was true. But you know what? There's no point in me thinking about it because God doesn't even remember that. And I get on with my life, whatever it may be. 
But that's where the enemy tries to defeat us. It's always in the battle of the mind. And if that's your struggle this morning, here's a promise from God for you in 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus was without sin. I like this translation. But for our sake, God made Jesus share our sin in order that in union with Jesus, we might share the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin so that when we became connected to Jesus, we actually received his righteousness. Now, you may not feel that righteous this morning. You may not feel that righteous all the time. But God says you are righteous. God says you are a saint. And you know what? He says that with a straight face. He's not being sarcastic. A saint means a holy one. And the reason he can look at you and say you are holy, he says you are holy. You are a saint because of what my son did for you. Because of what he gave you. He gave you his righteousness. He gave you his saintliness. He made you a saint. That's what you are. You are a new race. You are a holy nation. You're a priesthood unto God. You didn't just come and sing songs this morning. You came as priests to God and you were engaged in worship to the most high God that only saints can bring. We literally join with the holy angels in heaven because Jesus has made us qualified by his precious blood. He has cleansed us. The old has passed away. We are a brand new being. We are a new race. And so it's one thing for us to understand and to thank the Lord for his forgiveness. But friends, we have to move from forgiveness to freedom. It is for freedom, Paul said, that you've been set free. You haven't been set free to stay where you are. You've been set free to move into who you are now as daughters and sons of God, as the saints of God, to begin to live in the kingdom and to begin to take the battle to the powers of darkness and to see things change around you because of who you are. As the people of God. That's the expectation that you and I can have. Because of what God has done for us. That is who he has made us. But you have to believe that message. You have to receive it. And it only happens in people who are virgins. And it's at that point that we're tempted to kind of close our Bibles and go home. If it wasn't for the fact that God is able to do a miracle in us that is even greater than the miracle that happened in Mary. There is nothing more impossible than lost virginity being restored. And yet God can do it. He can do it. It was from Corinth, a city in ancient Rome, that was actually so perverted in its day that the term Corinthian actually became a slang word used against anybody you consider to be rotten to the core. It was into that city of perversion that the Apostle Paul brings the gospel. He's there for 18 months, plants a church. When he leaves it in good hands, it's about five years later that he writes his first letter to these people. And in doing so, he remembers what they had been before, but what they become in Christ. And here's what he said in, 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 uh, in chapter 6. He said, do not be fooled. Those who sin sexually, 
who worship idols, who take part in adultery, those who are male prostitutes or men who have sexual relations with other men, those who steal, are greedy, get drunk, lie about others, or rob. These people will not inherit God's kingdom. Read that last line. In the past, some of you were like that. And you know what? In the past, a lot of us here this morning were like that, weren't they? They say, oh, pastor, but you don't know me. If you knew me, you wouldn't preach to me. I say, if you knew me, you wouldn't listen to me. We're all there somewhere. If you're that pious, you think, well, I can't relate. I'll tell you one area you can. You're at least greedy, right? Because we all want more than we have, right? We're all greedy in some ways. We're all idolaters from time to time because all of us have placed something before God, replaced him with something. So we're all guilty of one of those things on that list. Then Paul comes around and says this. He says, but you're, you're not disqualified from being called virgins. Okay, you've done some of those things. In fact, in that congregation, you probably, you probably all done all those things. But that doesn't disqualify you. Why? Verse 11, because you were washed clean. Listen to this. You were made holy. No, no, it's not something you did. It's something you received that was done for you. You were made holy. You were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Now, Paul writes to the same group of people. He's the founder of the church, so he's speaking kind of as their spiritual father, and he's preparing to present them to Jesus one day. And he says this in chapter 11. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a what? Chaste virgin to him. A chaste virgin to him. Did you hear that? What God has done in you through Jesus has restored your virginity in the eyes of God. A chaste virgin, undefiled, and now qualified to be intimate with God and to expect to receive whatever it is that the Lord has you. That's how far-reaching his love and restoration are. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity to speak to a wonderful godly man. His name is Lauren Shepherd. Some of you may remember him. He's been in the Maritimes from time to time, Lauren Shepherd Ministries. He also worked, I think, for a number of years with Hunter Huntley Street, the Christian Broadcasting, but he was a, a Christian counselor. There weren't a whole lot of them back in that day. And, and Lauren shared with me a beautiful story one day. He said, you know, Paul, he said, I had this young lady come into my office not that long ago. And he said she was just a new believer. She and her common-law boyfriend were new believers. And they so wanted to honor the Lord. They wanted to be pure. They, they realized they needed to get married, so they planned the wedding for a few months down the road. And they just wanted to be pure. They wanted to be accountable. But she said, as they got talking alone with her, she said she was wrestling so much with just this sense of condemnation and just this sense of being unqualified for anything God would have for her. Because it wasn't just the fact that they had been living together because he said they had made the commitment to each other now as Christians, they were going to stay pure until their wedding day. But she said, Lauren, I, I got to tell you, she said, I, I was involved for a number of years with, with sex trafficking. And she said, I just, I know the Lord loves me. I know he's forgiven me, but I just feel completely unworthy. I just feel like I, I really can't expect God to use me like I see him use other people. 
And, and so Lauren said, let me pray with you. So he began to pray with her, and as he did, he felt the Holy Spirit drop in his heart that, listen, she's dealing with a lion demonic spirit that's manipulating her memories to keep her captive, to keep her plagued by these thoughts. And so he shared that with her, and then he said, let's, let's, pray, let's pray together. And as they prayed together, they confronted those lies. And then Lauren did this. He said, he said I prayed that God would somehow confirm his love and acceptance to her in the days to come. Lord, that you would give her a sign. It was about two years, uh, two months later, rather, the couple was married. And uh, after the honeymoon, when they got back, she returned to the counselor, to Lauren, and she was just ecstatic. She just couldn't wait to tell him the good news. She said, she said, you know, Pastor, she said, the Lord just did such a beautiful work in us that when we came together for the first time, we just felt like we were newlyweds, like we were just so spiritually clean. We had kept ourselves until our wedding night. It was only a few months from the time we were saved. But it's like in our spirit, the Lord had so cleansed us that we came together like two teenagers. But she said, that's not the only thing. I don't even experienced a spiritual miracle. She said, about a week before the wedding, I went to the doctor for my final checkup because she had been involved in the sex trade. She said, for all the checkup and the tests and everything else. And she said, to his amazement, he said, I don't know how it's happened. But he said, and you know what it is? He said, the membrane in a woman's body that is broken when a man and a woman are, are intimate for the first time, he said, I don't know how it happened, but it's been restored. You are physically a virgin. And she knew it was a sign from God of her spiritual purity, but that God had also restored her physical virginity. Friends, God is in the business of restoring people. He's in the business of making us brand new. He's in the business of doing amazing things in and through the lives of people who will simply trust his word to them, put their trust in him alone, and say, Lord, what you've said... I can't imagine it. I don't even feel qualified. But Lord, let everything you have said to me come to pass. Let it happen in me and begin to change things around me. And friends, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, then you are a saint in his eyes. You are a holy one. Hear me, friends. When God comes to you, through his word, by his spirit, in your mind, however he chooses to speak to you, he says to you, and I quote, and friends, this is not hyperbole, this is the gospel truth. He calls you by name and he says, highly favored of God. That's who you are. Just like Mary, not because of any inherent goodness of your own, but because of a work of God, what he has done in you, who he has made you. He calls you by name and he says, daughter, highly favored of God. This is his word to you. Son, highly favored of God. This is my word to you. And the reason I bring my word to you is because I have qualified you to be the fertile soil to plant my word. I don't just bring my word to anyone. I qualify you first. I prepare you first. And then I bring my word to you. And if you will listen to me, rather than your own mind, your own history, the lies of the enemy, then what you will do is instead of saying, oh, that could never happen to me, you would say, I may not be worthy, but let it happen to me. As you have said, Lord, you don't waste words. And if you're speaking something to me, whether I feel I deserve it or not, 
You're planning to do it. So, Lord, I'm here. I'm open. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. I mean, what better way for the Lord to be glorified in a life, right, than the life that doesn't feel qualified? What does the Bible say? Oh, he's not chosen many who are strong in their own minds, many who are holy in their own minds, many who are faithful in their own minds. He's chosen those whose lives have gone through the mill that people might see the wonderful grace and works of God and know that it's him and not them. How many of us this morning would say, I'm a candidate for that? Regardless my background, regardless my age, regardless any social status, whatever man may say, it doesn't matter. The promises of God are as good as done to those who believe. Let God be true and every man a liar. God, you can depend on his word to you. And I want to encourage you as we move into the, the, the time of the Lord's table this morning. Friends, this is a season of preparation. It's not just empty religious ritual. It's a time when in the spirit we should be slowing ourselves down a little bit. Contemplate what Christmas is really all about. The amazing gift. We sang this song this morning, a beautiful song. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And I love that song. But you know what? My spirit, I was kind of thinking, it's bad theology. Because the Father says, I've already given him to you. He ought to be singing, receive Jesus. Receive Jesus. You don't need anything else. Just receive Jesus. I've given you this gift. Receive him. Believe him. Let him be birthed in you and change things around you. Would you just bow your head with me and close your eyes just for a moment? We may all know Jesus this morning, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'm not talking about religion, but you don't know the love of God. You sense his presence, and as I've been speaking, maybe you're saying, that is for me. Oh, I wish I could erase things. We simply come to God the Father. We say, Father, I know I can't do it, but you have done something to make it possible for me to be forgiven, me to be cleansed, and for me to be able to actually be intimate with you and just love you and love your presence. If you're here this morning and you've never opened your heart to Jesus, I'm not asking you to join a church, just where you sit this morning, but you'd say, I want to open my heart to Jesus for the first time. Would you just raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you this morning. Is there anyone in the bottom section at all? I'm not going to drag out the service. Just give you a moment to bless you. Is there anyone else? Say, I just want to receive Jesus this morning. Open my heart in the balcony. If you don't know Jesus this morning, just open your heart. Bless you. Now, Christians, I want you to be real, too. And you can keep your eyes closed. But is there anyone that would raise their hand with me and say, in this season, I recognize that I have said no to things God has said to me because I believe the lie or I believe the past rather than believing his word to me. And I'm opening my heart in a fresh new way these next couple of weeks. I want to enter into the new year with fresh promises from God and fresh expectations. Anybody say, yeah, that's me before we go to the Lord's table. God bless you. Yeah, we, we got to understand, friends, the blessings of the Lord, His promises are new every morning. He wants a freshness and a newness. And wherever you may be, just like God did with that physical miracle and that young lady, just like God did through the birth of His son through a virgin, the Lord will restore your purity. He'll restore your sense of saintliness. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we never mess up. But what do we do if we mess up? 
If we confess our sin, he, will, he is faithful to forgive us again and to cleanse us. Why? So that we keep on moving. We keep on receiving. We keep giving birth to the things of God. We keep enjoying seasons of new life. Heavenly Father, I just thank you this morning for the miracle that you have performed through your Son, Jesus Christ. We are absolutely amazed. I just pray, Lord, wherever we may be this morning in our walk with you, in our journey of life, whatever we've gone through, wherever we may feel we are right now, I pray by your grace for just a spirit of freedom, of freedom and forgiveness, oh God, that you restore in all of us this morning the joy of your salvation. Lord, to move into the days ahead with faith and with expectation. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.